I don't believe in this construct that you need to have a different idea. I believe that the idea can definitely be the same, but it's how you position that idea to the consumer that can also build a very strong defensible product. Hello and welcome. I'm your host Pratish Sanyal and you're listening to The 1% Project. Conversations that will help you understand how some of the smartest minds build, scale and operate new ideas and ventures. If you enjoy these conversations, do share and subscribe. My next guest on the 1% project is Shravan Tikko. Shravan is a principal PM at Byju's. Byju's is the world's leading edtech business. Shavan kicked off his career as an entrepreneur where he built an app back in college which was acquired in 2012. Since then he has been working with India's leading tech businesses such as Flipkart, Blackbuck, Edureka and Times Group. Shavan is a product influencer, mentor and an angel investor. Shavan in this conversation talks about how he thinks about product and product management in first principles, how products can create differentiation through positioning. why engagement is a key factor for product success and how do you measure engagement and what is the difference between product versus service for show notes of this conversation and all of the conversations you can sign up on the 1% project newsletter at 1%.live for any feedback speaker or topic recommendations you can drop me a line at pratish@1%.live Welcome Shavan to the 1% project. It's a pleasure. Tell us about yourself and tell us how did your product management opportunity and career start. Pratish it has been a very serendipitous journey. I was always this guy born and brought up in Jammu, very curious guy. Majority of the time people my parents were always concerned about the fact that he reads anything but academics. Like he's reading Egyptian mythology in eighth class. What is he doing? He's reading music, he's reading literature, he's reading philosophy. nothing related to his school academics and they always thought he karega kya hai ladka what will he do eventually in life so what happened as i grew up my parents they also had this thing they met their friends and they got to know about this thing called iit and everybody told them as usual from the stereotype way that iit jayega to zindagi ban jayegi that is how it is going to happen so they pushed me towards it and i got through to iit so in the first year only i realized that this is not something i want to do like the engineering part of it i don't recommend it obviously everybody should study in their engineering colleges but the thing was that was very clear to me was that i am not this guy who uh, who would work in a non curious environment where which doesn't excite my curiosity as a person so in the second year what really happened is me alongside with two of my computer science friends we used to come from roorkee to delhi and a lot of time we used to go out have fun probably go to parties and stuff like that and a lot of times police used to catch us up and we used to get bahut chalan ho jate the hamare so it used to happen that way we figured out that is there a way to solve this problem in some way so that we can figure out that there is a policeman standing somewhere and we would be able to intimate our friends that don't go from that route so we built this application android was very new back then and my friends always wanted to do code right they were computer science grads mm. so we built this ways for cops which was an interesting concept that if you see a cop somewhere you pinpoint the location and it will tell you that there is a cop don't go f- from that particular route 
So we started this application, built this application, and what really happened was we put it across and never thinking about this that this is something that's going to blow up. And we always thought it's going to be around 200, 300 people who are going to use it, all of our friends. What really happens? Fast forward three months, and I check out the Google Play Store analytics dashboard. I see there are over 300,000 downloads for that application with no marketing. And I was like, what is happening? Like, this is the problem that I am facing, but somewhere in some corner of the world, this is again something that people are facing and they're using this application. So I sent out an email asking Google that, what is happening? Can you give me some insight about what's happening? So they told me that there are people in Arizona, as well as in Chicago, who are downloading this application out of nowhere. And this was very interesting to me. After that, what happens after two odd months, there's this large enterprise firm, which reaches out, reaches out to us and says, we want to buy your application. Initially, I thought, is it like a Nigerian scam or something, <laughs> which is happening with me? But then again, we sold that application for some money, which is like $30,000, $40,000. And for a, for a college student, that was a huge amount of money back then. I'm talking about 2012. So that is when I realized that if I can solve problems and get paid for it, there's nothing beautiful in life than that. And this is something that I want. So in my fourth year, one of my seniors, he effectively gave me this book called Inspired by Marty Kagan. And I started reading it. And I realized that your product management, this seems very similar to what I did. Like you build features for users, you drive value towards it. So at least if this is something, I don't want to repeat the same mistake that I did in 12th class going into a branch, which I'm not curious about. So why don't I do something which is very similar to it? So that is when my journey, I thought I want to do this without knowing anything about it. So finally, what happened, I got placed in Flipkart. And Flipkart spent, I was more in analytics, but then I used to spend a lot of time with product folks. And my boss was always asking, why are you spending so much time with them? And I told him that I'm really curious about how they build features for millions of users. How do they derive value? How do they do recommendations? And that is when I realized, oh, this is the field. This is exactly what I want to do. And moving from Flipkart, I moved to another company, which is Blackbook was a, something like Uber for trucks. I joined there as their third PM, as their data PM, building, building their pricing model, building analytics models for them, and effectively started realizing that product management is not really how people define, is, define it as an intersection of design, tech, and business. That's just an aspect of it. But I think the fundamental root cause is how do you solve problems in a scalable way, which can be effectively be vertically deep in which the same value is ascribed to the user, even if there are hundreds of millions of users using the platform or hundred users using the platform. So spent an year over there, then moved across to Times Internet in Delhi. That was my first B2C job where I actually saw consumer product management, which was very interesting to me because I'd come from a data background and then spent over a year there, built models on how owners effectively want to sell their houses. And the last three years have been pretty much in education. And that is something that I fell in love with because coming from a background where education was definitely given priority to, but because of the turmoil that happened, we could not assert towards how the community has to evolve. So I spent two, hour, uh, uh, two years types in Edureka, which is an upscaling startup. Started there as a senior PM, effectively ended up leading their business, growing their business, understanding how the upskilling segment shapes in India. And the last one year has been in Baiju as a principal PM, taking care of their synchronous learning platform, which is their live platform for kids. Like how do we do live classes at scale? And this is in an industry which is rapidly growing, the supplementary education industry, which is growing like 100% year on a year. So that has been quite a curious journey around over the last six years. But the fundamental of that is that being a very curious guy, solving interesting problems is something that makes you a great PM. And I think that was something that I, I was duly passionate about. How much of you cracking IIT at a national level has 
been a part of your curiousness as well as your reading that's a very interesting question actually so i think it's the other way around i was always curious as an individual which effectively helped me understand the passion towards solving problems which was where i think mathematics has been the language of it which coincidentally was something that was very important in cracking the je exam and there was always this feeling that you should love the process more than the outcome somehow which comes from uh, religion also to a certain extent lord krishna speaks about the same karm karo phal ki chinta na karo mm-hmm. so that was there that i always loved mathematics and how it helped simplify how you look at the world the beauty of it and that kind of helped me understand concepts at a far more deeper level which helped me crack iit but one thing that really helped shape my experience in iit and i think that that has been a very major impetus on how i've scaled my career is that one major learning was that you're as good as your peer group that is something that i learned in iit that's insanely amazing for me because whenever you are in the set of people and they are talented and you keep learning from them there is always constructive criticism mm-hmm. and you try to solve towards a problem and smart people you always look up to them you try to think that what is the next value that i can add in the conversation it's not going to be a very futile conversation that you're having with them so it improves you as a thinker so it widens your horizon of how you look at the world can you create an impact like for a lot of people which i've seen the only aim in life is to get a certain salary and then make effective some wealth for themselves but i think being in iit being with people who have done enormously tremendous amount of things in their life where i feel that i've not done even 1% of that so it always gave me that horizon that do this is not what's like what's life you have to create an impact at scale and one learning that i had from iit that was very very essential for me was that the only way you live a thousand years is when you create impact and impact is defined as if you have some place in people's hearts that is something that came very strongly to me because when i did my small startup or whatever you want to call it a project it helped people and i could see that people remember me for that are shravan is that guy who solved that particular problem basically the two important points that i took away from my college which were very important to me were that you're as good as your peer group and second thing is that because of this peer group your horizon of thinking kind of widens which effectively enabled my curiosity even more to understand and figure out ways how to move towards that so definitely it has a very what i would say not like a primary kind of a structure in which you would say academics really helped me shape as an individual but i think the entire wholesome experience is pretty phenomenal and that's why i feel great universities like harvard stanford or any of the great universities in the world they're really doing a fantastic job and i would always say nothing can replace it education as a concept is never going to be completely online or offline it's always going to be blended tell us about your concept of collective conscience it is again a very interesting way of looking at things so what i always thought is that i was very curious always trying to understand how to decipher the world and what really happened at that point of time was i always wanted to understand what is the truth in life because reality and truth are different things reality is how people perceive that's a very different way of looking at it truth is absolute right it's it doesn't change like light travels at a speed of 3 into 10 to 10 to power 8 is um, 10 to power 8 meters per second that is an absolute truth it doesn't change so i was wanted to figure out that what is the truth in life what can i effectively do to effectively figure out is there something that doesn't change with time which stays at as it as it is so earlier initially in my career i thought maybe leveling up is one way like if i earn a certain amount of money 
I'll be happy. I'll be very happy. But what happened growing with a lot of people, understanding about it. And after doing whatever little amount of success that I had, I realized nothing changed. I'm still the same. I'm not feeling very happy from inside. So that moment I could just figure out that now material things are not going to make me happy. That's for sure. Because the amount of wealth that I've accumulated, my lifestyle is not going to change. Even if I earn 100x of that. So I thought, why don't I move to a more fundamental concept where people effectively are not able to experience it and I could be able to experience it in some way. Which I mean by that is something spiritual. Because another thing that I fundamentally feel is there are two concepts, which is a belief system. And second is a reality structure. The only thing that brings them together is something called experiential learning. And experiential learning is very critical for any belief system to become a reality structure. Like people who believe in religion, for example, uh, if you believe that there is a God, initially it's a belief structure. But if you experience him in some way, like you feel that, oh, I prayed to God and it helped somebody come back from a poor health, you start believing that he actually exists. So I went back to my roots, being an avid reader of comparative religion. And where there I realized that this interesting thing that Lord Krishna keeps speaking about, which is dharma, where does it originate from? And he keeps speaking that dharma comes from compassion or karuna. That's how you put it in Hindi, right? So what do you mean by Karuna is that Karuna is that when you start thinking collectively and think outward as, as an ecosystem, the ecosystem at a very fundamental consciousness level is the same. The difference between Pritish and Shravan is only biological difference. And if I start helping the ecosystem that way, with being grateful about it, that whatever I, the ecosystem is going to help you back. Because now it's not a transaction. If the conversation that we are having, if there was a transactional value assigned to it, like $500, for example, then you would have lost context after this conversation. And I would have too. But this conversation is towards something that is very fundamental, like giving value, giving knowledge, which kind of makes people slightly better in life. So then I create some place in your heart. This is that how the conversation happened. So I thought, okay, it's a belief system. Why don't I try to implement it? Do something around it. So that is when my journey... Uh, of moving into thinking into this concept of collective consciousness started coming catapulting towards LinkedIn. Because I thought the way that I look at product management is problem solving, but that is not actually what's happening. So why don't I give this information? Just helping people. Let's see how it works. Right? It was an experiment as a product manager. And I started doing it, taking out time to help people without any agenda, without doing anything. And over time, the returns were phenomenal. Like I could never imagine the fact that people coming back to me and saying that we want you to give a lecture at the premier institutes in India. We want you to consult a startup. And I was like, dude, what is happening? I have, I started off with this journey of helping people without any agenda. And the returns that I'm getting back are 100x of even today, if I'm having a conversation with you, it probably happened because of that only. So that is when I started believing that this fundamental construct of collective consciousness makes sense makes a lot of sense. And that is why I tell this fundamental thought process of collective consciousness helps you improve a better thinker in life. And if you, if 100 people, good thinkers think about a problem, then innovation is going to happen a lot more faster than one Shravan thinking about it. And that is why I so profoundly believe in it and say that this is what the concept is, that you give out without any agenda, just believing and loving the process and keep everything surrendered to the universe or surrendered to the aspect of creating connections and it'll come back to you in, in ways you cannot imagine. Double click on the first principle thinking. 
how I look at problems in life, problems are twofold. Some are deterministic problems and some are non-deterministic problems. Or, or you can quantify them as some are reversible problems and some are irreversible problems, right? Now, if you think at life, it's not a game of chess where the outcome is fixed. Now, what happens in whenever you move towards a statement where the outcome is fixed, if you keep doing the process again and again, you effectively improve with it. That has a transactional value. So the as the transactional value is raised to power X, your efficiency kind of improves. But life is not like that. Life has so many variables. So, that, so what really happens at that point of time, if you don't do the experiment, what I mean by that is, let's assume you think of an edtech startup starting in 2015 and starting in 2020. In 2015, with the same amount of materials, the same talent, the same everything, the same strategy, and same in 2020, the outcomes will be very different because time itself is a variable. Time has changed. So it's a non-deterministic problem. Now, in order to solve, in order to solve any problem, you, you need to have predictability. And predictability can only come when you fundamentally pick out those elements in those problems which don't change with time. That is something like fundamental user behavior towards somebody has to eat food to stay alive. That's a very fundamental principle. You have to drink water, good water to be, keep healthy. Now, these problems, which are non-deterministic in nature, the only way to make them somehow predictable in life, you have to go down towards the fundamental elements of life. What is that one behavior that stays the same, that anybody would need value and value can be defined in terms of happiness quotient. So if somebody feels happy by your product, it is going to work agnostic of the fact whether it's in 2010 or 2020 or 2030. That is the first principle that comes out of that learning. And if you keep these first principles in building products or systems for that matter, that is going to help you build a very scalable system because it is not going to change. It is only going to compound. If you improve efficiency, efficiency effectively compounds into the value of the product. So efficiency as a first principle is a fundamental principle. The more efficient a car is, the better its performance is. So as a PM, because majority of the problems are non-deterministic and we are look, taking visionary bets of how the future has to pan out, we have to backtrack and look at problems that, okay, even if after 10 years, internet goes far more deeper in the country, what is not going to change? What is not going to change? And those questions we keep asking in every experiment that we do. And we figure out some learnings. It can be different problems. It can be like one of the problems that I figured out in Baiju's is that education depends a lot on content and teacher. But more than that, it really depends on the kind of engagement that you bring in. Because that ignites curiosity and that is not going to change. Because when Gurukuls were there, it was the same thing. And once we are moving towards cohort-based courses, it's the same thing. So it's a cycle. So that is a fundamental correlation. And that the Gurukul economy is now coming as a CBC economy, which is going to blow up. So that's the first principle that stayed the same. So first principle thinking is about how to break down complex non-deterministic structures into smaller structures, which are very fundamental and don't change, and then try to compound solutions from there build solutions from there. And once you have built a solution for it, then you try to vertically scale it. Like, okay, this solution makes sense for 10,000 people. If I have to keep this value intact as X, what is the next thing? What is the next variable that I would add to it so that the value remains the same? One, one of the very simplistic and crisp example of this is Amazon. When Amazon was used by a million users, their personalization was as good as it is today when a billion users use it. When Pritish goes to Amazon, he doesn't necessarily care that a billion users use it. He wants his 
particular products, his recommendations to be niched to him only. It doesn't matter to him that how many people are using it. So the user value vertically is the same, but the scalability quotient has grown by 100x, 500x or 1000x. How does any high growth stage startup does keep the engagement or the quality of that experience the same, even when they are going from one to million? And from million to a billion. So before you even start building a product, you have a fundamental construct or a hypothesis that this is something that will add a lot of value to the current experience of the user. So whenever you want to design a product, you don't, people say that you define a 10x experience, but 10x experience compared, there has to be a benchmark to it. Like, for example, I'll give you a very simple example. IRCTC's previous benchmark was somebody going to a train station and actually booking a ticket. Now, even though IRCTC is not the best experience in the world, but in comparison to the previous experience where you had to stay four hours in line and get a ticket, it's like 100x better than that. That's the reason people use IRCTCs far more than going to train stations. You build a hypothesis and you say, okay, this is the cohort that where I want to add value. Let me take the best representative sample of it, build a small POC around it, and then try to put it across and try to get the feedback. And then you scale out in in that manner that, okay, if you're getting a very good feedback, that is when you define an MVP, a minimum viable product. That my MVP basically means that 70% of my users are giving me the same amount of feedback, the intended feedback that I want. The focus is on intended. Engagement doesn't necessarily mean somebody coming on your product and doing any activity. Hmm. It's about doing the same pertaining activity that you wanted him to do because you believe that one singular activity or two singular activities are going to add value to his life, which can be probably doubt resolution in a class for Baiju's or probably recommending the next product by Amazon, or it can be probably buying the next car by car. It can be as simple as that. And once you do that POC, then you try to scale it to 10,000 users from your current base to 5x that base and see that whether the same feedback retains or not. If it doesn't retain, then you see that there there might be different cohorts of people who have different expectations and then you tweak your product based on that feedback. And it's an iterative process. You keep doing it till you till it it's more like a differential that is integrated. Like you do DX, 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 which kind of compounds towards X. That's why I keep telling that great products are not built in a binary manner. They're always compounding experiments and a product manager should understand the value of compounding very profoundly because generally, whenever we look at outcomes, we look at short-term outcomes, which may seem tangible in the short run, but once the effect of compounding takes place, then you create a differentiated product. So once you try to scale, you do small experiments, keep doing those DXs, make tweaks, make tweaks, keeping the hypothesis intact. That is where you have to be very fundamentally principled and you reach to a point where something has scaled from X to 100X. And because you have done those niche of experiments, nobody can even replicate your product. That is also the defensibility that you build with those experiments. So it doesn't, I don't believe in this construct that you need to have a different idea. I believe that the idea can definitely be the same, but it's how you position that idea to the consumer that can also build a very strong defensible product. How do you define a product? Product, fundamentally, what does it mean? A product is vastu. In Hindi, it's called vastu. Now, what is, why do you call something a vastu? Because it has some intrinsic value, which can be transformed into something value for somebody else, like stone. 
stone can be transformed in a building so that is what fundamentally is that value that intrinsic value now what do you mean by what is the difference between a project and a product how do you define that so the definition over there becomes is that something is a product when it starts creating value for not a small set of people but rather a large set of people where there's it is that concurrent value gets multiplied with the network effect if somebody is getting like like why do you use swiggy like you somebody had that value and then somebody recommended that value and it kind of multiplies with that network effect and a product is something which doesn't lose its lose its intrinsic value with scale and that is how fundamentally a product is defined as according to me that is how i take care of it now there is one more very interesting niche to it the great part about building a great product is that scalability is always taken into account you don't consider what is the difference between a service and a product there is there is a fundamental difference there a service is effectively dependent on intrinsic value of the entire chain anything breaks from that chain the service goes for a toss the value goes for a toss but in a product it is the culmination of service in that particular abstract like a chair has its intrinsic value whether you keep it in kashmir or you keep it in hong kong or you keep it in jammu the intrinsic value is not lost but on the contrary if you look at service service is like selling food if the person is not you would never be able to sell it across so product doesn't lose its intrinsic value when you try to scale it across that is also another thing which kind of separates the line between it mm-hmm. so these are the two things one a product has core intrinsic value something that has fundamental value which can be transformed into value and it is strong it has a strong network effect which grows with it the second thing is it doesn't lose its value at scale it always binds that intrinsic value in itself it's not like a supply chain or something like a chain in which if something is moved out the value is lost yeah so according to me these two aspects how is how i define products so what i understand is you gave two great examples one is a chair so chair's intrinsic value is wherever you keep it jammu kashmir hong kong new zealand wherever it is yeah. you can still sit on it and still use it for comfort and i think you talked about food and if we see it as a service if the same person is not providing it and not using the same ingredients from that same region yeah. the taste of that food will keep evolving and keep changing so yeah. the pani puri that you get in jammu kashmir the same guy even if they try to build it using the local products in hong kong won't yeah. be the same thing absolutely so i think probably that is a distinction between how is a service different from uh, a product what is product management this is a very interesting question that a lot of people ask me so for me i see a lot of people have this notion that product management is an amalgamation of tech design and business you design metrics you design scalable tech systems you do this and that you do stakeholder management but i think if you look very fundamentally and take a step back these are like parts of your body it's not your body so if i have to define pratish i don't say the head of shravan is shravan it's the entire body that's shravan i say the hand of shravan is shravan so all these elements are aspects of product management but fundamentally product management is the science or the art whatever you want to call it because sometimes it's more artsy because you take bets also the it is the construct of problem solving which basically helps you build systems at scale which provide value to you but systems at scale now i always keep talking about two things here one is problem solving 
if every problem solver is a product manager, then why are these two different words? Then I should go to a halwai and say, you're a product manager dude. You're giving me mithai. But that's not the case. The, the fundamental construct here is that a problem solver is a problem solver, but a product manager or product management is the art of problem solving at scale. These two words make it different, make it very functionally different. Now, uh, somebody who, if a, a PM or somebody who is into product management is that person who sol not only solves that problem, but also looks at the aspect that when it scales, the value remains the same. That's what I've talked about earlier. And this is, that is that art. It is not like Haldiram, for example, is a great product management example. I'll, people don't think of it, but it is actually there because they've built such an amazing supply chain. That is the product they were solving for. Similarly, Big Basket is an amazing product. People typically think of UI, UX as product, like ye hota hai product, building you great UI and UX, that is product management or building tech. But it is about what problem they were solving. Big Basket was so problem solving the problem of getting groceries at affordable cost and in the quickest possible time. And they solved it using a building a great supply chain product. So they don't necessarily focus on their UI UX. Discovery is not their problem. It's the delivery that's their problem. So mm. any problem which is which you can functionally solve at scale using whatever different fields, using tech or operations or some other business sense, and it provides the same tangible value, even if you scale it 100x or 500x, that is that solution is a product management solution. That solution effectively adds value to the user's life because if you're only solving for a hundred users, it's not creating impact at scale. And product managers are all about impact at scale. Like how do you effectively build that systems? So for me, the art of product management is again, repeating the same thing. It is how do you distinguish, distinguish between typical problem solving and problem solving at scale, but keeping the ethos of problem solving at the core. So that is how I define product. Management. Yes. Great. Then who should consider being a product manager? I have to take a step back here and tell you that, first of all, how do you identify problems? Let's, because I talked about product management is problem solving at scale. Now the fundamental question here is the first principle question as we put it, is how do you identify problems? And then from there, we'll figure out that who should, who is effectively rightly suited to become a PM. Problem solving always comes from this aspect, which is compassion. I talked about that, right? Mm. What do you mean by compassion? Compassion basically means like when you look outward and see there is something which you can improve to build value into the lives of users. That's why observation is a very strong skill set that I keep speaking about PMs should have. Now, once that happens, that there's a certain problem that is happening to me and to a lot of people, you see that if this one problem is solved, and typically these are emotional problems, if you see a majority of the great startups have come from personal experiences. Like mm. Dipinder in Zomato, he had this personal experience of going to Domino's and couldn't get the right pizza and probably took a lot of time. Then he figured out, okay, why the, what the hell? I just want to start something on this own. So typically when you start looking at personalized experiences, you figure out that, okay, if I solve this problem in some way, it would have add, added value to my life and to people around me. Now that compassion transforms into passion. That is how I define it. Compassion transforms into passion. And based on the passion, now, because you have looked outward, you're not looking for a solution for yourself. You're looking for a solution at scale now. And that ignites curiosity in it. Because whenever you try to say, okay, this is something I'll do, then you'll figure out this will not work for 5,000 people. How do I do this? So then you start thinking about something else and you will keep 
pushing your curiosity quotient again and again that how do i effectively improve it and you become curious by design so that's the first thing that i tell people that product managers should be very curious extremely curious anything you should not take at face value confirmation bias is the biggest killer of product managers just because 100 people say iit jane se tumhari zindagi ban jati it doesn't mean it happens that way so be very curious the second and the most important bit about if you really want to be a great pm or a problem solver is you have to be very very accessible which is very counterintuitive because most pms are very like time boxed in terms of the time and they don't give time to people but unfortunately i'll tell you why that makes sense because i told you majority of the problems are non deterministic problems the best way to effectively come to a more confined and a more curated experiment is when you have a large influx of data mm. that can only happen through conversations books podcasts are way of increasing your information but the fastest way to improve your consumption of information is through conversations mm. and and secondly those conversations have to be very true conversation authentic conversations and that is why accessibility and humility comes very core to it because mm. probably i'm talking to a friend he would tell me the what is exactly happening in his life but if i talk to him like oh i am your boss or i am somebody a big shot it's not going to tell you he'll only tell you that amount of information which is comfortable with so that comfort level brings brings that empathy so that's the second part once you are very accessible you have a large influx of info. that kind of helps you get that variable sorted if you are just reading by yourself you're getting five variables but if i'm talking to 500 people i get 50 variables and then i just have to curate from those set of variables that what makes sense so the second most important is accessibility one is curiosity second is accessibility the third and most important quotient here is something that is very fundamental is how do you improve your thinking in constraints constraint thinking is very critical another very deep example of this i would want to tell you is that if you talk to someone and you say shravan why don't you tell me your journey of the last 5 years i can write write a 5000 word essay for it but my point is if i tell you this if the same problem statement is rephrased in this way can you do it in 50 words now what do i have to do about that i have to cut all the clutter and put it in the best possible 50 ways so so that it doesn't lose its essence also and comes to the user in the best possible way in the way i wanted to explain in the 5000 words why this is important because once you are building products at scale majority of the consumers you don't know so all of those consumers have this funda of instant gratification if in the first 30 seconds they're not able to understand what value you are giving they're going to lose interest so that sense of prioritization is also extremely critical that and that has to come in the articulation prioritization doesn't necessarily mean featureization it has to come in articulation it has to it it is it has to come in information architecture how do you present your information so that is the third skill you you should have a very unique sense of prioritization very unique sense of prioritization and the best way like one of the questions that i'm very like very interestingly i ask in pm interviews is dude can you write a prd for me and the person says okay fair enough but I, then i say the constraint is that you have to write in 100 words that's it that's how you have to put it across so then you see that how does the person actually evolve in that constraint and the fourth and most important aspect is you should be very fundamental accessible to feedback if you are not accessible to feedback you're doing something wrong because feedback is something that effectively tells you the opinions of people how they think about the world now the problem is if you have already created an opinion then you have already created an outcome 
that this is my opinion this is how the business will run but that doesn't necessarily happen so once a pn is fundamentally accessible to a lot amount of feedback he can actually come back from that feedback take out the objectivity from it remove the confirmation bias and put it back in the experiment so curiosity leads you to some sort of ingestion of data which kind of helps you figure out the all the variables then that is some then comes the prioritization point then the feedback if all of these four things are there in a person he by design is a great problem solver and nothing can stop him to become a pa nothing can stop and rest of the pieces which are the skills like learning design etc a b c d those are like nuances he will learn them anyhow right so i think that's how i define product management and great pms you have worked for a number of high growth startups now you work for byju's which is probably world's number one most valued edtech company so when you join a new business or a startup or a new project how are your first 90 days so i think the first 90 days at least in a very fundamental which is a very strategic or a vision driven role which is as wide as product management because as product managers i've always spoken about this very interesting funda that product managers are not dispensers not indispensable like tech or sales if your tech stop work, starts stops working tomorrow your business effectively stops but product managers if you as a pm are tomorrow if your entire function goes away nothing really happens like there might be a little bit up and down but hmm. what is the role of a pm initially he is very dispensable and how does he become from dispensable to indispensable and then indispensable to dispensable again so the funda is that initially the dispensability to indispensability comes in insights you as a pm go deep within the data or within the what whatever the vision of the company is in the first 90 days spend a lot of time with the consumer trying to understand how effectively are you solving problems and then try to figure out certain small experiments at least in the first 30 45 days which you can run through which are not big enough which can effectively derail the business but also efficient enough to build trust in your stakeholders in your decision making process so once you have certain wins under your portfolio people will start trusting your judgment like you as a pm are able to make a bet which makes sense second and that's the first thing so have like in the first 30 45 days have certain wins under your portfolio that is very important because it helps you build that amount of trust that you go to engineering and say i want to build this and they start trusting you you know this is something that has add, added value the second thing that has to be very critical for someone in a in in an organization is majority of the people spend a lot of time in learning new skill sets which i think is absolutely detrimental for you as a pm i'll tell you why because skill sets are outcomes the fundamental thought process is how closer are you to the consumer do you understand the problem well learning tech to build a scalable system only makes sense when you know you're solving the problem then it makes sense so a pm has to spend i i typically tell apms on our pms that spend your first 45 50 days just talking to the consumer just talking listen to him get a groove of him after 50 days if i ask you who's your persona that should be on top this is who i'm building for and that should be so absolutely pitch perfect and clear in your mind that whenever you think of any new experiment the persona comes to your head and says oh this is where i'm building for and then your experiments will be very very so that is the second thing that i tell pms one 
try to make small experiments and drive wins which kind of builds trust trust is a very strong function i think it is the economy of how you build as great leaders the second thing is spend a lot of time with consumers and the third thing is always have this humility in which that if you drive success put the, your stakeholders point of it success is always collective and as failures you come across and say that okay this is a decision that i made and that is something that i've learned from simon sinek who there's this amazing book that is written called leaders eat last so that is something that really builds that amount of admiration in your team and why i speak of the word called admiration and not respect because you respect everyone but you don't admire everyone there's a difference there so admiration only comes when you can ignite that passion to do good in your team also so that if you call him at 2 o'clock at night and say dude i want this fixed he knows that if shawn is calling me it is genuinely important and it is something that that adds value so that is the third part that you should fundamentally always in successes keep it as a collective success and while if you are in failure you build become the shield of the team and talk about it okay i take responsibility for it we have done something but we'll improve and the last and the foremost part that i always keep talking about that in 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 general about this is that once you are in an indispensable stage you move from dispensable to indispensable because now you have to build trust and that economy you start grooming new re- leaders you start grooming new people and once you start grooming people you put them into key positions the positions that you were driving and then you put yourself to the back gear and again become dispensable because then you have leverage now if i know there's a great pm who's sitting at the same who's driving the same product which i was driving like a year back or probably two months back or something like that then you effectively move towards that aspect when you become dispensable again and then you have horizontal leverage then you can think at other products also so at least in the first 90 days the two things i would tell is drive some wins build trust and always think of collective success as a metric and be very close to your consumer and then overall in your journey as a product leader also try to groom leaders that's one more responsibility as a product leader that you effectively should have we're talking about unicorns and high growth startups yeah and you have worked with a number of established and amazing founders yeah. so my question is a successful founder or an entrepreneur mm-hmm. is more of a product guy a marketer or a communication pr guy very interesting question hope i don't get sued for this <laughs> saying this out but then again so i think uh, the functional fun- functional question is how do you define success right and success for any entrepreneur is if I, if he's really a visionary entrepreneur and he wants his business to kind of stay alive for 100 years or 200 years it is in terms of the end value to the consumer now it really depends on a lot of factors that what you want to build let me give a very simple example to this in india a uh, majority of the companies don't have any preceding product to look at what i mean by that is like taxi services or transportation as an industry was never disrupted before ola or this came into it and it was very fragmented so the previous experience of the consumer was pretty bad pretty bad and once ola came into the picture might not be the great greatest product but the efficiency level improved by 10x and it might have a very strong operational component to it but for the end user it was a 10x better experience so even though a combination of ops and product worked here but on the contrary 
if you go to the US or go to Singapore for that matter, they have a great transportation system. So for them, the value has to come in different ways. It has to be probably optimization of their time or value of their time. Can they effectively use a product in which they can effect better utilize their time, monetize their time? It doesn't necessarily have to be the transport itself. There, it has to be more like a product-led kind of a structure that you might have to build. And then the third aspect is where you said the brand and PR, it also makes sense to a certain level. I'll tell you why. Because education as a concept, it if it has to get democratized, it has to drive a large reach. And for driving that large reach, it is effectively important that everybody understands the essence of the pyramid of communication that you're putting across. So a, 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 a great a great entrepreneur also has that skill set. If you look at Elon Musk or for that matter, Steve, amazing marketers, they knew how to market products and that was a core skill set that they have. So it's not. So my point is all of these three skill sets have some real intrinsic value to it. They should not be vanity metrics just because you're speaking and it's not coming out. Whatever you're communicating, whether it's in op, whether ops, whether it's tech, whether it's marketing, it has to come together and deliver the final intended value that you are responsible for giving to the user and you're promising to the user. So a great entrepreneur is for me an amalgamation of all of this. He effectively adapts over time. I've seen, I'll, I'll give you a very good example of Baiju. Baiju initially as a product, I think it has been pretty operational. It, it was a content and ops company. But over time, he realized that the only way to become a better company is if we invest more focus on product. So he has been very curious about investing a lot of money in product, building great products. And I think that was different stages. So, but eventually, as an entrepreneur, the biggest capability that you should have is what the same PM should have is the adaptability to change to drive more value. You should have that adaptable sense and you have to adorn different roles at different times. So there's no uh, simple answer to that. Brilliant. Thanks, Shavan. It was a pleasure having you on The 1% Project. It was very lovely talking to you. Thanks. Thanks a lot for having me. You can find the show notes for this episode and every other episode on 1%.live. If you enjoyed this conversation, share it on social media and leave a review. See you next time.